Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Wild Hometown Pod. I'm Ariel Landau. I'll be your sometimes host, sometimes producer through this journey of what is the Wild Hometown Pod. My wild hometown is Reading, Connecticut, and I study environmental justice at Middlebury College. For our first episode, I'm here with some of the movers and shakers of the wild hometown movement themselves, Ruby Rorty, Oscar Sykes, and Jacob Friedman. Jacob, why don't you start us off and give us a short introduction to yourself? My name is Jacob Friedman. I am a rising senior at Middlebury College. I'm originally from Worcester, Massachusetts. That would be my wild hometown. My passions include talking about Worcester, Massachusetts and how great of a city it is. It's the second largest city in New England. Has a lot of really cool nature around it. And for me, getting young people outside and connected to nature where they live is one of the most exciting things to me. And just helping all people to have meaningful connections with nature and, and sort of finding that nature lives all around us, even in the places that we might not have expected. My name is Ruby Rorty. I'm from Santa Cruz, California. That's my wild hometown. But I go to school in Chicago, where I'm a rising third year at the University of Chicago, studying economics and environmental studies. And my background is in environmental advocacy and especially ocean issues and especially education and plastic pollution. That's sort of where I've done the most work. Hey, my name's Oscar Sykes, and my wild hometown is Gainesville, Florida. And I'm a student at Middlebury College, but really been focused on engaging young people with the environment and also advocacy around conservation and climate change. Well, let's start from the beginning. How did this idea for a wild hometown movement begin? The story has to start with how we all know each other, which is sort of fun. So I've known Oscar since I was like 15. We were both members of an inaugural Youth Leadership Council for an environmental education organization called Earth Echo International. And so we started working together on campaigns and educational programs through Earth Echo. So there's this program through the Sierra Club called SPROG, which is, it's through, I don't even know what it stands for, but it's basically to help train young people to learn about environmental justice and taking action on a local and a national scale. And for me, that was sort of, I think, my first time really getting to learn about environmental action. I had, you know, been involved with my local land trust, and I was working with them in, in Mass Audubon Society that summer. But going to Sprague for me was this, like, eye-opening experience that there were tons of young people around the country doing really, and really around the world. Yeah, who, it just sort of was like an opportunity to, to, to see things that were happening all across the world. And that's how Ruby and I met, because we met, we met there. Yeah, and Jacob and I, I think, had a few conversations. Mostly we just hung out and talked about more like environmental philosophy and also just random stuff on a dock in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, for a week. So I knew Oscar and I knew Jacob, but then how did you guys meet? I don't know if I know this story. Oscar and I, we met each other, I, I think it was in the, the fall of our, our first year in college. And we sort of tangentially knew each other through, I think it was through Frisbee, weirdly enough, that neither of us plays Frisbee anymore at all. Oscar and I are both part of a youth mentoring organization called Community Friends, which partners college students with local youth who are between the ages of 6 and 12. And Oscar and I, both of our mentees, knew each other. And so we just sort of found it a time that we were all going to hang out together. And so me and my six-year-old mentee and Oscar and his six-year-old mentee all were throwing paper airplanes off of this balcony. and I think. We had carrot cake. Your mom might have sent you a carrot cake for your birthday. I think that's what it was. And Oscar and I sort of just sprouted out this, this friendship from a, like, that, that sort of one thing. We ended up taking a class together. 
and we went fishing. Oscar, do you want to tell the fishing story? So yeah, yeah. Somehow, I, you know, I was feeling I was new and I was new in Middlebury, you know, and I was feeling like I kind of needed to connect this place in some way. So I was like, all right, I'm going to become a fisherman, and I'm going to fish in Otter Creek, which is a river that flows past the college. But like, my family actually has always been known for being terrible at fishing and like just using like pole and with like a little, little line. So anyway, like, I'm like, all right, Jacob, let's go fishing. I have my fishing set up. So Jacob comes to my dorm. And what I basically have is I have like a large stick I found in the river. But then I didn't really have any fishing line. I just had like sort of like that weird, really thread, like old cloth thread. And mind that, you, like, this is like the third or fourth time that I've ever really <laughs> talked with Oscar. He, he sort of just asked me one day after class on a Friday. It was in the middle of winter. He's like, hey, do you want to go fishing? I know a really great spot. And so we go to his dorm and he has literally just a piece of driftwood with a string attached to it. And he's like, we're going to go fishing. And, you know, it's my first time in college. It's like, let's, let's go try some new things. So we go down to the river and Oscar, he's like, oh, I have to bring my tackle box. And I'm like, okay, whatever that is. So we go to the river. He opens his tackle box and inside is a bunch of rubber worms. Like, I don't even know if it was like fishing worms. It was just like rubber things like that. And so you started to go fishing, but the way you did it was you like tied one of the little rubber worms to the string and you'd go to the edge of the, the river and it was frozen and you'd throw the rope into the end of the river. And then you'd let it float just like a little bit as long as your rope would let it. And then you'd pull it back in. And you just did this for, you know, probably 20 minutes. I'm just sitting on the banks laughing because you didn't really include me. You kind of just <laughs> been doing it. And you're having such a good time. And it was so enjoyable for me to watch. Honestly, it was really, really great. And I think we just sort of became friends after that. I think a lot of people would be thinking that situation like, is he going to kill me after this? What is the what is the end scene of someone fishing alone wrong? <laughs> it was bizarre. But I think also, Ruby, that's around the same time that Oscar and I figured out that both of us knew you. And we were, because we were taking a class together and it was an environmental policy class. We were talking about environmental policy things and Oscar was showing me Earth Echo and all the stuff that you were doing. And he was sort of scrolling through the page and I was like, hold on, I know Ruby. He's like, how do you know Ruby? And, and sort of, I think that's how we all sort of connected in the first place. Yeah. I know that like Oscar and I had spent a pretty memorable time in Oscar was at North Carolina or South Carolina at an Earth Echo retreat. And we'd had like this really long conversation about the environment and about what we wanted. But a lot of what we talked about was like how to do good and what it would mean to be and do good in our lives. And I think both of us were feeling feeling semi uncertain about how to sort of apply the, the values that we held about the environment and about social justice and about a sustainable and just future and sort of what we could do. And we're both in this position of sort of working with Earth Echo International as youth advisors type things. I, I remember talking a lot about what it would mean to grow up and what growing up would mean in our work. And so we had a little bit of that conversation. And then I imagine that like Jacob, you and Oscar, had conversations at Middlebury about sort of similar things. I don't know, like what, what, what were the conversations that originated Wild Hometown between you guys? It's funny when you talk, when you kind of talk about this again, I don't think I realized how much of a, what do you call it, like a liminal in-between space, you know, I was then, or maybe I am now, but realize it. But these little decisions you make that kind of bring you along a path where you end up kind of forging these relationships that are so, you know, so important to kind of 
you know what you're you know what what you're all about i mean and of course it's not like this wasn't of course this was all what we were passionate about individually but the fact that it kind of coalesced into something that the three of us came around was, was i think what was fortunate I, you know some little decision could have made that not happen i don't remember when we all connected oh oscar and i started working on a project for earth echo called pledge for a place and it's the first memory I have of working on something that felt like really recognizable in its DNA as having the same core values of Wild Hometown. It never really came to fruition within the world of Earth Echo. And we were both about to graduate out of our tenures as Earth Echo YLC members, although I stayed on for a couple years after that as more of an advisor. But the idea of Pledge for a Place was to get young people to pledge to protect their backyard, the places that they loved and the places that shaped them. And we sort of set out to work together on this project. If I recall correctly, like a pretty narrow scope from Earth Echo of being like, make a social media campaign for a particular day of the year. And we got caught up in these hours long conversations that really, I think revealed at least to me in a way that I hadn't really thought of before, how important the places that I grew up were to me and were in motivating my work as an environmentalist and how I felt like sometimes the world of nonprofits and speaking and environmental pre-professionalism and and everything sort of like take took took me away from the places that I loved the most. We talked a lot about like wanting to work with young people to help them stay connected to the places that they loved as they grew up because we felt like part of growing up for us was sort of being encouraged to grow away from place-based work and into like boardroom work. And so that sort of became something that was so much bigger than what we'd set out to do and a conversation that I think we sort of put on the back burner. We were like, this is something that we want to work on in the future. And then I think I got pulled onto a call later on with Jacob and Oscar who had been talking about similar things. And we were kind of like, this is what we're all coming to in our thinking and like in what we want to be doing. For sure. But I think Oscar and I, we went for a a hike. We actually went to go visit his grandfather before he moved in Western Mass. And we were sort of out there for the weekend. And we went for a a hike at a place that Oscar had gone when he was growing up and his father and his grandfather, they had all sort of hiked at this nearby park. And my dad is always like, oh yeah, this is the woods I used to make up with my girlfriend in high school. (laughs) But for me, I was this little kid in Ghana who, you know, because growing up, I actually grew up way more in Ghana than in, in West Africa than I did in Florida. And, you know, for that, I was in a super urban, you know, large city with no nature, very, very little natural areas. And you know, I loved it, but, you know, for very different reasons in nature. Um, and so in the summers, I would go there and I would just always hike in this forest and kind of explore it. But it was sort of like things all coalesced in that weekend of like, oh my gosh, we should take this work and bring all of us together and have a meeting and sort of see what happens. And I actually wrote about it in my journal that I was reading and I was reading that entry the other day and I can read it now. Friday, May 25th, 2018. I woke up this morning and felt pretty sad. Oh my gosh. I'm really not sure why, but it felt like there was no purpose to anything I was doing. I imagine this was due to finishing school and no longer being surrounded by friends. In the evening, I went out to Westfield to spend the night with Oscar and his grandpa. I got there around 8 p.m. and Oscar and his grandpa were waiting. In essence, his grandfather is an older, more traveled, more talkative, and slightly more antagonistic version of Oscar. It was great to hear his perspectives on life and his travels, but for the 24 hours I was there, he only stopped talking really when he was asleep. (laughs) 
George, his grandfather, was the most spry 81-year-old I had ever met. Two years ago, he traveled with a backpack on top of a bus around the mountains of Nepal. But then the next day, Saturday, May 26, 2018, I woke Oscar up and we went downstairs to eat breakfast with his grandfather, who was somehow already awake and prepared with a conversation to have. After he shattered the great story behind the movie Invictus, which we had watched the night before. Him and Oscar got into it over who knows what. I have to say, antagonizing Oscar by challenging his views isn't too hard. I do it all the time. Anyway, <laughs> we left to go hike in Stanley Park, a nature preserve with lots of trails right behind his grandpa's house. We explored the woods, streams, and swamps, with both Oscar and I going into the water. It was a very peaceful and refreshing day. Along our walk, we came up with the idea for the Youth Environmental Trustee Initiative, also known Yeti. as Yeti, <laughs> to help get youth more connected to a sense of place and environmentalism. We're going to speak with Ruby Rorty this coming week to go over plans for hopeful implementation. That's the end of it. Yeah, so, we, so then we all got on the phone, and I think we had like a multi-hour conversation again. I was just remembering so excited to talk to you guys about this, and I think it's it's at a time in my life that is not totally over where I was working with a number of different environmental organizations, some youth led and some sort of adult organizations that were really interested in talking to or working with young people. And it felt like an endless series of conference calls that were ostensibly like planning things and sometimes planning like social media campaigns. But a lot of it didn't feel like it was going somewhere that I necessarily wanted to be. But I was also working with a lot of youth-led organizations that sort of in contrast to adult nonprofits felt more like the goal on the part of the young people involved was just to like start a nonprofit to like jumpstart a career or have a startup. A lot of it felt not so genuine. And I think more than anything, it felt like it was connected to an environment that had very little to do with the outdoors and very little to do with connecting people with places I just remember feeling like so relieved to be talking to Jacob and Oscar and feeling like we we're all just on the same page about wanting to do something that we felt was genuinely helpful. <laughs> I felt the exact same way. And I think, but I remember having that conversation and thinking, wow, you know, if, if Ruby feels this way and I haven't talked to her and, you know, I've been talking with Oscar a lot throughout the fall, it's probably pretty likely that there's a lot of other people that feel that way too. You know, all the people that we went to at, with at Sprague other people that we had met throughout our lives and it, you know, this could work like this, this could be something. And I remember describing it to my land trust director, the idea, I mean, we were calling it the Yeti initiative at that point, but the early stages of wild hometown, I remember describing it as the, it's like an idea that you keep hitting with a hammer and you like hit it and you hit it and you hit it and you expect it to break and you expect it to crack and you expect it to fall apart. But like there was always still something there that felt really valuable and really important. What was that void that you were filling? The kind of core values that you saw that these other environmental organizations weren't necessarily fulfilling? In my early days doing youth activism and when I started speaking a lot on young people and climate change and, and water issues, I feel like I was pretty constantly encouraged to like do like bigger and more opportunities that were focusing away from my hometown and the issues that mattered most to the people I love and the places I love. Environmentalism among young people, as we saw it, oftentimes just like taking them away from the places that they started. And we didn't want that. And we imagined that there might be kids who likely want to protect the forest in their backyard or their local beaches. 
sometimes the case in Santa Cruz, and I know is, is even more so the case in other communities around the world, have pressing economic and health-related needs to their wild backyards and not be able to look away for a second from their local issues and not want to. And so I think we wanted to create infrastructure for young people to be supported in that work and not be pressured to make a career out of it or become a talking head for all youth environmentalists everywhere. The work that we were doing at our local level was just as important. You know, that young people can be change makers in their own hometowns. And I guess all this is not to say that we were advocating like individual local action is all that's needed, like individuals recycling. Like this is, climate change is a systems problem. This is the fault of corporations that have gotten us to this point. None of us disagree with that. All of us fully support that. All of us still go to these large climate rallies and are, you know, fully in support of the Green New Deal and Sunrise Movement and large scale youth efforts. They're incredible. I think what we wanted to create the space for is, is yeah, just as Ruby said, giving young people that opportunity and voice to recognize that doing local action is, is really important. And if we're only looking at the policy scale, when we make those changes, hopefully that we switch and move over to a, a clean economy and, and renewable energy and, and all the good things that are going to come out of hopefully all these climate policies, we're going to need to have infrastructure in place that will allow people to like build on those relationships to nature. I think that's what we want to do is sort of to help build that, that groundwork that once we have things going in the right direction, young people in all communities really will have those communities. They will live in places where these policies can thrive. Place, when we talk about like, you know, being connected to place or the local, that is really the only way you mainly experience the world. For me, a lot of this is about understanding that we live in a society that I think really undervalues the importance of place and loves to kind of prioritize abstract ideals over place and abstract ideals over like relationships. What really inspires people to care about the environment and to care about others for, you know, throughout their lives. And what really is just ultimately most important for each of us is relationships, a relationship to, you know, the more than human world, nature, nature where you live and having that be something that grounds you and that you can always be informed by, so, you know, every traditional society has elders who mentor young people to understand the place and, and, and to, to pass down values about the land and the practices of the land. And we've told, that's totally broken down, right? We don't grow up with a culture that values that appreciation for land and appreciation for place for the most part, obviously there's exceptions. So I, I just really just saw in my own life, the value of when young people are able to have spaces where they can build their relationships to the place around them, build their relationships to mentors and elders, really, you know, let's say, you know, in the environmental movement who, can really teach them about what this place is all about and what kind of fight that they're going to be inheriting from this older generation is, is all about. We'd also sort of identified something that felt like a, a little bit of a rift in the generational relations in the environmental movement and the sense that in these organizations that we were working with, there was often the sense of young people as fulfilling a very specific role of being young people and providing a youth perspective to organizations through programs that weren't necessarily like a big part of those organizations. And I think that there are exceptions to that. And Earth Echo is one of them in terms of there's, there are organizations that do a really good job of incorporating young people at every level. But I think we saw that there was often this gap where young people were sort of included and sort of brought to the table, but not in a way that really was equipping us to, to one day lead that movement. 
And so I think that what Oscar's saying about place-based work as a way of connecting people across generations, but also for young people to teach older folks about the changes in values, the system change that Jacob was talking about, a Green New Deal, building at every level of society, a sustainable and just future, and recognizing the intersections of justice and sustainable infrastructure and access to human rights, including natural resources, that 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 kind of system level change has to happen at the local level as well. So what does the Wild Hometown Movement look like today? Wild Hometown today is trying to create a network of young people who are doing place-based environmental work in, in sort of age range between kindergarten all the way through young adults who are, who are really passionate about their local communities and are working to make a difference on the community and local level. And so Wild Hometown began as a couple of these distinct groups and sort of connecting those groups to one another to form the Wild Hometown Network. I think, you know, the idea for Wild Hometown Movement may have come before the, the formation of some of these groups, but we sort of had to take a pause with building out the network before we had anything to build the network with. But in Middlebury, so where where Oscar and I and Ariel all go to school in Vermont, based on the conversations that we had had throughout the summer, that summer of 2018, Oscar and I sent a text to all, I think we sent it to like probably 85 people on Facebook that we either had classes with or that we had met otherwise. And we sort of were like, hey, you know, there's this really local need that we're seeing and we want to help connect local youth to college students and community conservation partners to learn about nature, connect with local nature right right here in our town and find ways to advocate for and protect the future of those places and help young people become leaders. And so we had a meeting and probably 20 or so people came and we sort of had a few meetings like that, building out sort of the first ideas for Wild Mid. And it, it took a little while for things to catch on. You know, we had a few events going on where we were working with a local high school. We were working with a, the, the land trust in the area. A lot of community organizations, especially in these towns that are really connected to the colleges, there's a, a huge thing called the town-gown divide, which sort of separates the college from the town, and there, and there can be animosity between the two. And so I think the need that we saw, that the couple of needs that we saw in Middlebury was that that town-gown divide was huge. There was a lot of nature in the area that people could connect with right in the city, and that creating mentorship relationships between college students and local youth could really be the centering force to bring people together and start to create mutual understanding between folks. It was a really interesting, just the whole first year of finding Wild Mid because we didn't really know what it would become and we didn't really know what we were going to focus on. And of course there were, you know, there was things that we messed up along the way. I think for me, when it really started to click was when we started to make connections with local schools, local kids, and also when we just started to have people who were taking leadership in the club that weren't ourselves and who really were kind of really identified with the mission. And I had never even imagined this whole mission. You know, we would go out, for example, and like we went skiing with local kids or we went, we went animal tracking with them or we went to a, tra- a trade school. These are students who might have not been thriving as much in a traditional academic setting, but really are incredibly talented with a lot of different kind of work. And they, it was a wildlife management class. And so they invited us to join them for a game lunch. To the, they bring all this game, like animals that they've hunted to the table. And they, you know, so, we're, so we're eating like bear sausage. Yeah, and bear elk sausage. And That's the one I'm, rabbit. And 
venison and squirrel. It was like anything and everything under the sun. And I think we brought brownies because that was all we could muster up in our college kitchen. But it was so fun. And it was, I think like, yeah, as Oscar said, that was just such a meaningful memory to just be allowed to, you know, enter into these, the life of these young people who honestly were not much younger than us, you know, two to three maybe four at the most years younger than us, but to just start to build those relationships and then also, you know, to build the relationships with their communities. It wasn't even us like having an agenda. It was just us wanting to learn. And I think through that, we sort of developed this co-learning relationship, especially with the students at the trade school who, you know, not by anything that we've done, but, you know, they're, they're developing amazing things now. They're presenting a patent for this maple sugar tapping thing where you basically connect it to an iPad. Basically, you use the iPad and instead of having to go and check each individual tap and turn it off, you can just use the iPad and click a button and it stops or, or you know, tells you how much is being collected at a given time. So it's just sort of this incredible thing that, you know, this is a whole massive economy in Vermont and to have young people having the agency and the voice to be able to, to say that this is something that's important and look, we can figure out a solution. I think it just sort of proves the, the value of young people connecting with one another and really having opportunities to thrive together. The summer that Jacob and I started talking about Wild Hometown, that was also the summer that I first um, ran the Young Leaders Wild Florida. And the origins of that idea was basically around kind of seeing this, having, seeing this real need to get young people involved in getting outside and, and hopefully falling in love with how amazing Florida is. And also just getting involved in stepping up to the plate to speak up for, you know, Florida. Florida. What I had started in partnership with a local land trust, kind of just had these kind of similar conversations with them. And I so started a summer camp that was oriented towards just two weeks of getting outside, meeting with community leaders, you know, you know, ranging from people who were running solar companies to land managers to, you know, environmental justice advocates and just learning about their work and then also starting their own activism projects themselves. We had our third year this year and obviously this year was basically all virtual. We're actually going to go out our one in-person event tomorrow. We're going to go paddling together. It has just been this incredible opportunity and these students were just so passionate and so compassionate and working with each other. And, and now they just have this kind of year-round space of getting outside and activism. And I, I, for me, I think it really just impressed upon me how much of a niche there is to fill that doesn't exist here. And also just how powerful it can be when you kind of just create that combination. Basically, what we say the Wild Hometown Movement does is you connect, you collaborate, and you lead. It's really easy to get disconnected from the place you're from and lose tra track of being engaged or work there. And I think I've been lucky to be able to be a part of leading this to really stay connected with this place. Because I, I mean, I'll admit it, I always will care way more about Florida than Vermont. But Florida is the place I feel like I belong. Yeah, when I think about what Wild Hometown looks like now, I think the word movement, which we use a lot, is really apt. That it's not... A centralized organization really in any way. It's a bunch of groups of young people and that hopefully we've contributed to in some ways, but who I think more importantly have really impacted the way we think about our work and the way we think about the environment. That Wild Hometown Movement looks increasingly like a support network and a way for people to talk about and stay connected with these issues. And so I think something that we strive to do as a movement now is to create spaces through Facebook, through the virtual summer camp we've been working on this summer for young people who are doing this work that is incredibly individual to each community, but who are operating out of the same sense of love and awe for nature to be able to talk about that 
and to be able to share their knowledge with each other, to ask questions, to, to, to share the joy that they take in nature, but also some of the anxiety that they have about the future, the grief that comes with watching the places that you love change and not being able to stop it easily, not being able to take it on as one person. The the group at Wild Mid and, and Young Leaders for Wild Florida and now Wild Worcester and some of the other groups that we work with all operate completely differently, but all sort of exist in the same framework of young people taking action for the places that they love in the way that makes sense for that local place. You know, what does every club look like? There's no way to say that other than the fact that it's young people who are passionate and who are finding their voices and are passionate about helping other young people find their voices about place too. After the spring of 2019, me, Oscar, and Ruby all sort of started touching base again about like, okay, we've done some clubs. We know that this model can work. We know that there is something here, that this idea that we hammered and we hammered and we hammered still has some core tenacity a year later. So we started actually working with this group called Alpine, which stands for the Academics for Land Protection in New England. And they are a group based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they work with the Harvard Forest and a couple of other nonprofits to help to activate colleges and universities in New England towards protecting land. And getting professors on board, teaching classes, but not so much on the student activism perspective and getting, you know, students engaged for this work. And so what we started to do with Alpine is is they really liked the model for Wild Mid and what it was doing up in Middlebury between college students and local youth and conservation partners. And so they they took us on for the summer to write a toolkit for starting a wild hometown group at other colleges. And their vision was for us to expand this model to other places and to help to start you know wild hometown groups in other schools and as we worked on that oscar and i in the fall we ended up working on an independent study to continue that work and presented other colleges about starting groups because at this point oscar and i were really you know we were members of wild mid but we made a very conscious decision to not be on the board to not be in the leadership of wild mid because it was it was thriving it was having really really awesome successes and we just wanted to enjoy and participate. So we had the fall of doing an independent study for Wild Hometown to try to expand the model and the movement. And we had a meeting with a professor at Middlebury named Professor Carolyn Finney, who's an amazing scholar on diversity in the outdoors and helping specifically Black communities connect with nature. And we had a just this really long conversation with her about Wild Hometown as we were working on creating the, the larger organization. And the idea of having a visioning board sort of came out of that conversation. Visioning board is basically the idea is that we kind of set the vision of the movement and the path of the movement. And we really kind of try to share our experiences and kind of form like, what is this all about? Even though we're so unique locally, we had the fortune to kind of really connect or reconnect with people who really have become part of that visioning board that I think have really enriched our perspective. I think I particularly think of Nkwanda Ja, who's a, who is an environmental educator and you know a activist in my community who's really just focused upon building a space for Black youth in Alachua County in the environmental movement. So she had started a summer camp similar to mine, but focused upon lower income Black youth. You know, she, so she met with our summer camp. I think she really impressed upon me. What should have been more obvious was that, you know, if I was talking about being in a room with environmental activists in Florida, I was like, oh, why am I the only young person here? Why is everyone over 55? You know, another good question to ask would be, why are all of us white? Why are all of us, you know, middle or upper class, right, in these environmental spaces in Florida? 
So she has basically worked closely with our clubs here in Florida and has kind of been behind a lot of our work here in Florida. And being able to just be in a constant conversation with, with a, you know, with someone who really has a, a perspective that is over years of work, really like an elder in that work, is immensely important. I have a lot of hope for Wild Hometown. Wild Hometown is one of the things that's given me the most sense of hope and direction during the pandemic because it feels like we're working on something that I believe in and that I know Jacob Oscar believe in. And it feels like we're a team in a way. I think it's not totally clear to any of us where Wild Hometown will end up and how big it will be and what it will ultimately be. But I'm really, really enjoying the process of starting projects and completing projects and, and starting ongoing projects that then go on for years, even after like we're no longer involved, that forward the vision we had about creating a network of young people who are doing work in the places that they love the most. Maybe there's just something really important here that doesn't currently exist in the environmental space and that in terms of what young people have access to, this needs to be done. This is a very profound kind of purpose here. I would add that, you know, the hopes in the, of the future for Wild Hometown, as Ruby said, you know, we're not even sort of sure what direction this is going, but I think we've started to have those conversations now two summers later of this is catching on. It's not just groups that we've started. I think a really nice part of this is that you can start your own wild hometown group or you can join into the network if you have an existing group. So we're working with groups in, in Zambia right now. We've connected with a bunch of other groups down in Gainesville with Oscar through Nkwanda and, and other folks down there. And, you know, we're building those relationships every day. And I think what we're hoping for is that we can find more young leaders like we've been finding and connecting with who really do care about place, who want to get involved with the Wild Hometown Movement and join into the network, but also finding young people who might not have had the support to start a group otherwise. And, and what we can be for them is that sort of support and that group that's saying, you know, we're with you, we got your back, and we want to help you make this happen. For the future of Wild Hometown, it's, there's just so many really exciting possibilities, and it's really helped me to make a lot of really awesome friendships with Ruby, with Oscar, with other folks on our visioning board, just some really cool friendships with people all around the world, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for those. Wild Hometown isn't really about us, but it is about all the incredible people we've gotten the chance to meet and sort of feeling like we're all on a team is something that gives me a lot of hope. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Wild Hometown pod. Please stay tuned for more episodes in the future. You can reach us at wildhometownpod at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, but you can also find us on Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.